0: Uh, let's look at Hebrews 13, 1 to 6. Uh, And just to set this up, the writer has been unrelenting in this letter, shouting the praises of Jesus. He has been going on from one chapter to the next, telling us all sorts of reasons why Jesus is absolutely amazing and our faith should be centered on him, and exhorting us to put our faith and our trust in Jesus and to persevere in that faith and trust, even when things get hard, and even when our obedience to him actually puts us in the line of fire and attracts hardship in our lives. And so he's been talking about persevering faith, um, and he's been zoning in on that in the last chapter. But the thing about faith is that it starts as a hidden thing, it is a belief that is on the inside. But it must be manifest on the outside, otherwise it isn't a genuine belief. And so what he does today is he says, if I've been exhorting you to, be, to have persevering faith, then this is what it's going to look like on the outside. This is what I want you to do. And so he's got five Uh, uh, five different exhortations in those first six verses. They're all general ones. And then later on in the chapter, he gives some specific exhortations that have to do with the way we are in the body of Christ in our Christian community. But we're going to be looking at those first five ones. Uh, First five, not five ones. (laughs) So um, let's have a look at them briefly up on on the overhead here. They are concerned with brotherly love hospitality, ministering to those who are imprisoned or mistreated, marriage and sexuality, and money. Now, just to complete this introduction, I need to make a disclaimer, and I also need to pose a question. First of all, the disclaimer, we could actually launch a separate sermon series, and probably we will do in the future, on each of those different subjects. So today he's just going to be distilling the essential stuff as it relates to persevering faith. So we're not going to be going into any depth, but it's amazing how he does summarise what our response should be in those five particular areas. Now the question, why does he bring these specific ones up? What is, re- what is his reason for doing that? Why do they relate so closely to persevering faith and its expression? on the outside, in our physical lives. And so we're going to be trying to answer that question as we go along. And keep the question in mind. Um, and even as you're just pondering it, just ask yourself, well, why does he say that about hospitality? What has that got to do with persevering faith? So Hebrews 13:1 to 6. Let's just read it together. Um, it's not up there, Dana, so you, you can relax. <laughs> it's a job. It's a tense job. Eh? adrenaline pumping um so Hebrews 13 1 to 6 uh, he says let brotherly love continue do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body let marriage be held in honor among all And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, in other words God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? So good. And that is God's word. To us today. So let's dive into brotherly love. Two things about this. He he tells us about the importance of brotherly love, because he says brotherly love must continue. And then he tells us what the essential nature of brotherly love is, namely that it is persevering, it's continuing. And don't you find this, folks? Sometimes it's um, the people in your own family, the people that are closest to you, that know you best and you know them best, that you really have to persevere with. Because God has put you together, you don't necessarily select your family, you don't select the people that God has chosen to be part of Harvest. Some of them are going to get on your nerves, but you need to continue in brotherly love. Now, why does he select brotherly love out of an almost endless list of possibilities of exhortations. Why is this an essential outworking of persevering faith? Well, we find the answers in 1 John verse 4, chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God And knows God. Anyone who does, and then he says the same thing again in in the opposite way. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Folks, how do people know that I have got a genuine faith? What is the evidence on the outside that I have a genuine faith on the inside? What is the evidence that I am born of God? Do you see it there? What is the evidence that I know God? it's love. Love is the evidence. Because love is from God, and loving our fellow Christians goes with someone who has been born of God and who knows God. That's the reason. It, it, it's actually the family DNA, if you like. God's DNA is love. Therefore, our DNA, DNA, if we know him, must also be love. It's part of the family likeness. People look at us and they say, that person That woman, that man, carries the family likeness of God because they are loving people. Just a qualification here. I am not born of God through loving my Christian brothers and sisters. That happens by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we see this in the context of the next verse. This is what he says in the next verse. He says that in this the love of god was made manifest among us that god sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him we don't live through loving our brothers and sisters we live through what jesus christ did us did for us on the cross loving our brothers and sisters is an outworking of that essential change that happens when we put our faith and our trust in god so i'm not born again by loving others. However, ongoing love is evidence that I have been born of God, and it's also evidence that I'm continuing to persevere in the faith. When things are hard in my life, how will people around me see that I'm still persevering in my faith? It's because I'm loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what is brotherly love? Unfortunately, John tells us in verse 10. That whole chapter, incidentally, that, well, the whole book is about love. Um, John is often described as the apostle of love. Verse 10, it says, In this is love. What is, what is love? Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to make the payment for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so, in that, we see the essence of what brotherly love is. Brotherly love is not an emotion, it is a commitment expressed in action. That's what what God did. He loved us, so He sent. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. There was the love that practical outworking, that practical expression of love. And folks, you know, if we've been born again and born of God, we just need to allow the love of God to melt our hearts and inspire us to such an extent that we simply must continue to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, brotherly love must continue. Let's move on to the next exhortation, Uh, next slide, which is hospitality. Curious that he should mention hospitality, isn't it? Folks, this is a logical extension to the exhortation to love. Um, And it seems to me that the reason why the writer selects hospitality is because it's such a practical, physical, if you like, mundane, day-to-day thing. He's emphasizing the fact that love must be practical. It's not just a feeling. Love is expressed in service. And that's what hospitality is, isn't it? hospitality at the heart of hospitality is service looking out for the needs of others it's about meeting practical physical needs and this reminds us folks that in christ there is no separation between what is physical and what is spiritual whilst we're here on earth those things are bound together and so we can't say this area of my life is physical Therefore, it's not spiritual and God isn't interested in it. No, God is interested in everything. Everything is spiritual and has spiritual implications. But there's more to this choice of exhortation. Notice that the hospitality, who's it to be shown to? Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. You know, it's one thing to show hospitality to Christians in our community and in our circle because they'll probably show hospitality back to us but what about strangers maybe Christians that you're never going to see again maybe they're traveling from another country or or what about people who aren't Christians and who are in need do you remember the point of the parable of the good Samaritan so Jesus told that parable because they had been discussing um, the, the great commandment which is to love your neighbor as you love yourself and so, one of the guys who was in, in the conversation wanted to get a little bit of a, a bit of wriggle room and say, he said, Well, you know, who is my neighbor? And so, Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. And at the end, we realized that the reason why he told that parable is so that we would know that our neighbor is anyone who has a need, especially a physical need, that we can meet. This doesn't mean that we're going to put ourselves under pressure so that we're hard-pressed. No, but it just means that often God in his economy makes sure that there's enough in our lives that we can meet the needs of other people. Folks, in, in biblical times, it was actually quite difficult to travel, and yet there was many different needs for traveling. In, in Israel, for example, there were certain festivals that everybody had to go to the temple to attend. So where were people going to stay? It was far too expensive to stay in inns or anything like that. So what would happen is that people would just stay in normal houses. People would open up their houses to people who were traveling so that they would be provided for and so that they would be safe as well at night. Do you remember Lot? Lot went down to the village square in um, Sodom, it's a city square, and he saw two strangers there. And he said, you need to come and spend the night at my house because he knew that the citizens of Sodom were going to take advantage of these two men if they weren't somewhere safe at night. And so he took them to his home. He entertained, as it turns out, angels. It's the same with Abraham as well. He showed amazing hospitality to two strangers and they turned out to be angels. Now, while... While we look at this, we we, we think, well, this is hospitality. That's quite a specific exhortation. But I think that what it's doing is it's serving as an example of how we can go the extra mile to meet another person's need. Don't think just in terms of giving them a meal or giving them a place to spend at night. And we do it not expecting anything in return. We're doing it for strangers, as it says here. Why Because this is just such a powerful way to point people to this invisible God. We're making him visible. It's such a powerful way to live out what people can't see, which are our hidden beliefs. But let's not miss the writer's reason for entertaining strangers. He says it there. He says, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares bit of a strange reason. Do you, would you entertain strangers? Um, would that be a good motivation for you? I'm not too sure why he actually gives that as a motivation. But presumably, it is a good motivation, so let's hold to it. But maybe what he's getting at here is, if I knew that this person who was standing on the side of the road was Jesus, wouldn't I fall over my feet to try and show him hospitality? Maybe that's what he's getting at here. If I knew that this was an angel, some supernatural being, wouldn't I fall over my my feet to try and do something for that angel? And what did Jesus actually say? Remember he told a parable. Let's just read it together. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed to my father. my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world why are they going to inherit his kingdom for i was hungry i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was naked and you clothed me sick and you visited me in prison you came to me and then the righteous are going to answer him saying lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will answer them truly i say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it for me and so even if you're just providing a drink of water for a stranger it's like jesus counts that as though you're doing it for him which to me feels like a really good motivation to do it. So, brotherly love, hospitality, let's move on to the third, which is also related because all of these things fall together under the umbrella of love. Ministering to those imprisoned or mistreated. He says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Folks, this speaks of being in tune with the daily needs of another person who is suffering. Now, I can actually embrace the distance that is between me and Shirley Suter, for example. I don't see Shirley Suter on a daily basis. But I need to keep her and her suffering in mind as though it's happening in the next room, that I can't actually deny it and forget it. And so, he talks here about people in prison. It's very easy to forget people who are in prison. Because out of sight is out of mind isn't it we mustn't allow that to happen we must embrace the fact that although they're far away we hold them dear in our minds just think about jails i i I think it's i've been reflecting on the similarity actually between first century jails and zimbabwean jails because in those days the prisoners, if they didn't have someone on the outside looking after them, bringing food, bringing essentials, bringing medicine, they were most likely going to suffer extremely, if not die, in prison. And you know, it's the same in Zimbabwe. I've had some exposure to people who have been imprisoned and been involved in taking care of them. You've got to be regular. You've got to be looking after them. And um, we we need to, to remember this. Do you remember Paul? He's writing to the Philippians, and he says, thank you so much for the gift that you sent me. The reason why he was saying thanks for the gift is because he was in prison, and um, the Philippian church had sent the money to someone who was living in the same town as, as Paul. Actually, we think it was Rome. And then that person was using the money carefully, buying things that Paul needed whilst he was in prison. What's the reason for remembering? Why do we, why do, we, why do, we do it? As those um, who are mistreated since, you also are in the body. And that probably means that since you are also vulnerable, we're just as vulnerable to mistreatment as, as they are. We're just as vulnerable maybe to poor health as they are because we also got ordinary human bodies. So we treat people as though we're in their shoes because one day we might be in their shoes. Christians who stand with those who are suffering and enduring for their faith are genuine Christians. Why is that? Because they are actually prepared to suffer for the sake of holding to Christ. Now let me explain that a little bit. If someone in our congregation is arrested for following christ when i stand by them and go and visit them in prison i'm actually exposing myself as well aren't i because i could also get arrested for being a christian and the fact that i'm looking after them shows that i am prepared to be obedient to the god to god even if it means persecution and suffering maybe you're saying to yourselves i don't know if i'm in that place today yeah but, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I don't know for sure whether I'm in that place yet or not, whether I would be prepared to visit someone in prison knowing that I might end up in prison as well for visiting them. What we need to do, folks, is we need to get into training and we need to keep in training. And the way that we keep in training so that we develop muscle for a persevering faith is by doing these ex- fulfilling these exhortations that Paul um, has been giving us. Today, Actually, not Paul, we don't know who it was, the writer to the Hebrews. So, those first three exhortations, they go together. Brotherly, sisterly love, hospitality, and ministering to those in prison or those who are being persecuted. Um, They're all related to love, aren't they? Practical expressions of an inner feeling. Let's move on now to the two big ones, beds and bankrolls. So, first of all, marriage and sexuality. Need a sip of water before I get onto this. Ah, right. Let marriage be held in honor among all and keep your sexual relationships pure. That word, related honor, means to treat something as precious or valuable. So you can even think of it, I, w- I was reading in the, in the lexicon, in terms of possessions as well. Uh, a brand new car, you treat it with honor because you treat it as something as precious or valuable. You look after it, you maintain it, you make sure that it's, it's being well looked after. So what would this actually look like for us practically? How could we show that we honor marriage? Well, I often think, about this particular area. Jesus said that if I look lustfully at a woman, I am committing adultery with her in my heart. And so when I'm doing that, if I'm looking lustfully at another man's wife, then I am not holding marriage in high esteem. I'm not honoring and valuing marriage. And you know, even if I'm looking at you're single and you're looking at another single woman, Um, another single person looking lustfully well you aren't actually in a marriage relationship yet so it's not right for you to be committing adultery in your heart, that's one of the ways that we need to hold marriage in high esteem another one is often the way that we talk about marriage sometimes we verbally run down marriage we might turn to a mate of ours and say hey so how's the ball and chain doing you know it's a little bit of a joke But it's not really a joke because what we're implying is that this institution that God has set up is a ball and chain. No, it isn't. It sets us free. This is the most amazing institution. Here's another practical one. If you're a married woman, don't allow even the slightest hint of flirtatious behavior or talk with anyone other than your own husband. And, you know, it can be so tempting to do because we want our self-worth to be boosted, don't we? We want people to think that we look nice or um, that we're a person of value and worth listening to. And, and it can happen in messaging as well, isn't it? You know, if you send a message and then you get a reply and it gives you a little bit of excitement, and oh well, I'll reply to that message. And You know, before you know you, you're having a conversation with someone who isn't your wife or your husband, don't do it. Hold marriage in high esteem. Folks, what is marriage? Let's just define it. Because this is so important for for us, I think particularly as single people, we'll get onto this, to know what it is and what the practical outworkings of this is. So marriage is a permanent, exclusive, and legal commitment to completely share your life with someone else. So you are only fully married with somebody when that holds true you can't act and live as though you are married without that having been done and that's why the exchanging of vows is so important and i have to say that this is not just exchanging exchanging of vows with one another it is exchanging vows with one another before the community and before god there need to be witnesses involved god himself and the community the community needs to put its seal of approval on it because we rely on the community so much for a strong and healthy marriage. And so that's why we make vows. What what, what do we vow? We say, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. Permanent. Forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you. Exclusive. The legal side of it. We're gonna completely share our lives with another person. And so when we think of that, how do we show the institution of marriage respect? Well, for example, if you get married and you're making decisions where the wife is going to go and work in the UK for for years and years at a time and the husband is going to be back in Zimbabwe doing other things, you're not sharing your life with one another. That's not showing God's intention for marriage as being honourable and showing it respect. Um, Think, for example, of having sex before marriage. You know, it only makes sense to consummate the marriage once you have made the vow that you are going to become one unit, one flesh. And then it makes sense, then it's logical to be having sex together, to be living in that way. But before, it isn't. It's showing disrespect to marriage. And we can see that it's happening all the time in our society. Marriage is constantly being run down. Now, what sort of sexual behavior would defile the marriage bed? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? He says, sexually immoral. Um, Can we go to the next question? Uh, For God will judge. Yes, it's sexually immoral behavior. God's going to judge it. And adulterous behavior. That word Translated sexually immoral, is porne in the Greek, and it's used in the Bible as a catchphrase for all sorts of forbidden activity. Um, just basically anything you could think of, but don't think too much um, while, we're <laughs> while we're chatting together. So that, that's, that's porne. Anything, it's a general term for any sort, anything that is sexually unacceptable to God. So we mustn't be, be doing that. We talked earlier about sexual fantasizing. So no undressing with your eyes and with your mind. That is porne, that is sexually immoral behavior. No looking at the nakedness of anyone other than your own spouse for the purposes of arousal. That's the definition of pornography, isn't it? Looking upon the nakedness of anyone other than your spouse for the purpose of arousal. You'll see in the Bible the, the word fornication. It's quite an old-fashioned word, but it applies to not having sex when you're single outside of marriage. That's porn. Eh? Now we need to ask this question. Remember the question that we keep asking ourselves. Why of all the possible exhortations does he give this one? Think of it this way. Healthy marriages equal healthy societies. Isn't that right? Marriages are so crucial to the health of society. And you can see that it creates all sorts of chaos when marriages are in disarray. And for that reason, because marriages are the building block of society, Satan is going to be attacking marriages and he is going to be attacking sexuality. And he's going to be doing it in such a way that he's getting us to think that it's not a big deal. And so folks, this is one of the areas that we are all going to be... Tested on, and if we hold true to God, if we hold fast to God through the tests in the battle, then it is evidence of the fact that we have a saving faith. It is evidence of the fact that we believe in Jesus. And believe me, it is going to be persevering. Remember, we joked a few Sundays ago about the the old guy in his 80s who was at a men's breakfast, and. Uh, The guys are saying, when does this whole thing of sexual temptation um, sort of fizzle out? And he says, ah, believe me, it never does. (laughs) And it's true. You know, we are just going to be fighting this battle as long as we are human. And it's one of the ways that we can develop that persevering faith. And so don't give up. Don't give into it. And if you have, there is forgiveness. That's the whole reason why Jesus died on the cross. There is cleansing for us. So, we've talked about beds. Let's move on, last of all, to the money side of things, bankrolls. I love this quote by John Wesley. Um, He said, the last part of a man to be converted is always his wallet. Isn't that true? The last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. You know, sexuality will always be the focus of satan's attack but so will money because these things are powerful sex and money are powerful people can be controlled through sex and money just think of it if you want to control a politician and undermine him and neutralize him as an opponent then see if you can get him to compromise in the areas of sex and money we all know this we see it in 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 the world around us, in the books that we read. So these things are the areas that Satan targets. So what what does the writer say? He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Folks, if you would just reflect on that verse over the next week, see what it says to you. You know that the original Greek here carries the sense that finding contentment with what you have will actually keep you free from the love of money. Did you get that? It is by finding contentment in what you have that you will find deliverance from the love of money. And those two quotes that he puts there I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What he's getting at here is actually it's God who's our provider. We partner with God in providing for ourselves and for our families. God is our provider. It is not money that is our provider. And folks, the love of money comes when we believe that, God is our, uh, that money is our provider and it just can't it can't happen it's like oil and water you can't love two masters you will either be dominated by money and the love of money or you will be controlled by god who is your provider if we trust money to provide then we're going to come to love money and we're going to be obsessed with making money money's going to take priority over everything especially god And we'll be controlled, Satan will control us through money. In fact, any enemy of God is going to try and control us through money. Just think of all the corruption that's going on in this country. Just think of all the people who are supporting certain um, parties. The reason why they're doing it is because they're making a hang of a lot of money out of it. So they're being controlled by their love of money. This is not for us. Why? Because God is our provider, and He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. How many people have felt forsaken by money in Zimbabwe? Yeah. geez, I've felt forsaken. And it's actually a good lesson for us to learn. Money will forsake us. You could say to yourself, oh, well, that was just a Zimbabwean dollar or the US dollar that became a Zimbabwean dollar, I'm not sure which, um, but as long as I've got pounds or I've got real US dollars in cash, that will forsake you as well. Money is the easiest thing to lose in this life. One moment it's there, another moment it's gone. I can remember chatting to, to the, the managing director of Fort Concrete when I was working there. He said, I just don't understand money. Sometimes we're making so much money we don't even know how we're doing it and other times we are just so hard pressed and we're not entirely sure why. That's just the way it goes. Money is not dependable, it's not reliable. But maybe someone is saying today, um, should I really be content with where I am at the moment because things are not good Things are not cool. I'm I'm not able to provide for some of the essential needs of my family. Is it wrong to think that I should be trying to improve my income? Folks, all I would say to you is keep reminding yourself that money is not your provider. If you think that money is your provider, then you will actually compromise God's code of conduct. You will start doing illegal things in order to get more money to solve your problem. And it's going to you'll get more and more obsessed with money and how you can make money. It doesn't matter whether you're a rich person or a poor person. But what I don't want you to, to do is to hear what I'm not saying. There's nothing wrong with wanting things to improve, but we must turn to God first as our provider and find out what He wants us to do. Folks, we need to wrestle with him until things change or we find contentment. It's a process. Not going to happen necessarily overnight. Contentment feels elusive because it is. We need to constantly work on our contentment. This is what Paul wrote once again in Philippians. He said, I have learned. Isn't that interesting? I have learned. I think it's there, the next one. No, I didn't put it up there. I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. You see, the, see what he had to do? He had to learn. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstances. I have, here it comes again, I have learned. Then he says the secret. This, this contentment actually is a secret that we need to, to uncover. It's something that we need to learn. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Folks, I believe that contentment, especially when things are tough, needs to begin with prayer. What does Paul say further on? He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, supplication making your requests known to god then it says with thanksgiving folks if if we are giving thanks for what we do have whilst we're asking god for what we don't have it's amazing how focusing on what we do have can change our outlook it can change our attitude we can start to get a sense that you know god really is looking after me and i can be content yes this is not perfect But God is my provider. Never will he leave me. Never will he forsake me. He's my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Nobody can control me through money. Threats. Notice that Paul makes requests for things but at the same time he's giving thanks for what he has. That helps us to move towards contentment. So folks, just in closing today we've talked about the fact that the christian life is a marathon race it's it's an endurance race it's going to require a faith that perseveres it's going to require a genuine faith and the way that we develop our perseverance muscles is by constantly expressing that genuine faith in those particular areas if you want to look at my spiritual health and i'm i I often do it internally if i want to know how spiritually health I am. I just look at those two things. I look at my sexuality and I look at my attitude to money. Those two are the litmus test so often. And yet we think that often that money and sexuality are not really part of what it means to be a Christian. No, it's entirely tied up in what it means to be a Christian. If I want to know how I am, how am I treating the person that irritates me the most? How am I treating the person who has hurt me and offended me, am I forgiving them? And folks, the more that we do that, the more that we just on a daily basis in those little mundane areas repeatedly do the right thing, looking to God to provide our strength, not doing it to try and earn something from him, but just to express our love for him, the more we do that, the stronger we get in our persevering faith. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, we do want to be people who, who honour the marriage relationship. We, we want to be people who honour you with our sexuality and with our money. We want to be people who are loving. We're so relieved, Father God, that you describe yourself as being love. You don't say, I am loving. You say I am love. What would the world be like if 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 you weren't a loving God? if there were limits to your love and so father we we just want to um be loving people as well we want to express the family dna the family likeness please help us um to to just take these exhortations bring them before you and and work with you on a daily basis using the the power that you provide through your holy spirit please fill us holy spirit come and fill us up come and take control of our lives we ask in jesus name amen amen